Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. Today we have uh, all four of our hosts on, and we also have five guests that are going to do a roundtable on a year in review. Where are we going with, let's take the bull by the horns and start to put something in that's a positive, that's a proactive. But let's start back around the, the kind of do a, around the, the, the team here again on what are is 2022, what's in store? Start with Alex. Yes, so happy to jump in that. Uh, great uh, input from the others. And actually that makes me think, you know, we must think at a higher level and on the whole global process of organization, this but private or public, it's about security by design and privacy by design, which is a goal that we must achieve so we can reduce the impact and the likelihood of an incident. And if we face an incident, because we always face, if we think about privacy by design that encrypt the data, if it's stolen, we don't care. So we have, you know, to rethink, I know it's tough because we have all the legacy systems, but with proper security architecture, and isolation of the system by risk levels. And we can have, you know, it's part of a zero trust concept, but also um, uh, governance of data and, and, and risk after all. And if we build that with security in mind and privacy in mind and include that in a change management process, because you, you spoke about the great resignation. Uh, I don't know, we didn't touch that stuff, but um, when people leave, it's part of a process of organization. They live with knowledge and they leave also the organization with access and stuff that we must control. So these have to be by design included in the workflow. And if we do it right from a design standpoint, we need less technical controls uh, and less capability on the little details because it's endless. I mean, if we drill the rabbit hole on that side of things, it's endless. I mean, we can spend billions and we will never get anything efficient. So maybe it's time to rethink. And if, as we head to 2022, we saw what failed. We, we can learn from the mistakes. That's why I share and put the emphasis on, of it and redesign accordingly. And we will not get rid of the legacy. We, we cannot get rid of the legacy, but we, what we can do is build around it, you know, uh, fence it, uh, put it with risk levels, and then uh, put the security control around this, but at a higher level and follow this as the organization evolve, it change. We, we move to cloud, we move to other structure, we connect everything, but all of this must follow the guidance. And I know it, it looks very theoretical, but this is the way to go. Risk management through privacy and security by design. Think security and think privacy, ideally from when you design the project, but now if it already exists, it doesn't mean that you cannot do it. From now on, in every change that you schedule, think privacy and security and little by little, we will embed that into the culture and we will be better. So that, that will be my thought on what- Yeah, Alex, I'd like to just hop on that uh, for a good segue. One of the things for 2020, we're seeing it in 2021, but it's gonna be, it's being built into contract language government side on the commercial side. We know the number one most significant threat is human. I have for decades, software is number two. It's developed by humans. Number two, 
The second reason for that is um, it's never been built with a security mindset. Back to your point, Alex. So software assurance and that goes into the development process, demonstrating for each iteration. I don't care if Sprint, Scrums, um, you know, Agile, whatever you're using for your uh, Eclipse, demonstrate that you have information, cybersecurity designed into the code, that rigor tested is becoming a requirement and it's being written into laws in contract language, which is great, um, but there's no specific standard. So we've got to have the ability to, you know, I don't want to hear secure SDLC, SDLC, SEC, DevOps, DevSecOps, a mindset from the development process, not a buzzword at the beginning of a development term. All right. So Bash. Thank you, sir. So, uh, no. My friend used to always say that think outside the box, and uh, we used to always reply, "What box?" You know, uh, uh, the, the the problem with all these issues. I mean, uh, Dr. Murray has, has said that several times. Uh, it's, it's a human problem, right? So, if it is human problem, take back and see how many problems that we have encountered in the last fifty years, and how how did we solve those issues? You know, and that is one thing that comes to mind every single time we talk about every aspect of it, the mindset, the security, the privacy and everything, it's training and awareness. Seven years ago, I sat in front of a presidential panel and testified and my, I said my number one agenda is to teach and learn and make, make people learn uh, what is cybersecurity, you know, I, I mean, you cannot force somebody to go do it unless until they understand, you know, what the repercussions of that is or how good that is if they implement it, you know? So I always go back and say, hey, if you can't teach someone to do something, there is no way in hell that you can ever make them do something, you know? So, so let that be an agenda year after year after year to make sure how the colleges, you know, they, they teach the, uh, the, the, the graduates now, a part of their, their, their curriculum should be cybersecurity. And when you come back to the companies, that should be, I mean, we teach diversity, we have diversity training because it's all mandated. Some, sometime, you know, it's, I mean, a little bit of mandate is necessary, I guess. So maybe having uh, cybersecurity mandate, uh, training mandate is also necessary. You know, teach people what 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 happens. You know how how your lives get disrupted. Put them in a situation for them to understand. Hopefully, that will change the mindset as a whole. You know, uh, because the line of sight for every single uh, individual employee is very important for the company to become successful. You know, it's very apparent as a startup because you have only ten employees. But it's very hard for companies like Intel or someone who have hundred thousand employees. So how do you change that, right? So change management, uh, Alex is absolutely right. Change management management is so important. You know, there are stages, you know, uh, I move really fast, I adapt really fast, but I had employees who took months to get to the point where Subash, you were right. You know, until then, you know, Subash is crazy. You know, so, so, so we have to go through that process. You know? it's, it's, it's daunting, you know. That's why I always say that technology, the solution for technology is not technology. The solution for technology is awareness in human beings. Right, down to Daniel. 
what's in store for next year. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique, non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bill of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable time sequence blockchain data provides next generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today. Contact BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Right, down to Daniel. What's in store for next year? Well, I would like to see more companies uh, start to look seriously into the I, to the industrial cybersecurity standard uh, 62443. I would like to, to see people conducting more training. Just make a decision. You want it uh, 15 minutes, an hour, three hours, or two days. Whatever is needed, it, it must be done because if we spoke about ROI, it Training to employees has the highest possible ROI among all cyber securities. Furthermore, we will need new technologies. We will start to, to see, can deception technologies create something that we were not thinking about before? Because if you create a, de a deception, you have a good chance to catch the attack much earlier. Then, uh, then it would be just by any kind of uh, antivirus or any kind of uh, defense mechanism. So a, lo a lot can be done. Uh, we also need to remember the recent uh, the, the log4j vulnerability. Many people are asking how it is going to attack to affect industrial control systems. So if you have a correctly, and strongly designed architecture, you are fairly safe. If you are a, a in, if you have an incorrect architecture, you say, "Well, I need to see everything through the internet." I want um, my boss is on vacation. He wants to see how the production line is working. Yes, you are creating homemade risk. And this is what we will have to resolve by educating people. You need to give up something to gain cybersecurity posture. All right, James, on to you. Yeah, I think all those comments are really good and I won't reiterate any of them. I think the, the key is about data security, right? And we see all these compliance pieces coming out and it's very confusing for companies. Uh, we've had, as you know, 853 and 800-171. Now we're talking about CMMC. And CMMC has just gone through a rebirth from five to three levels. And you know, CISOs and, and companies are really trying to make sense of this. And how do I engage? How do I become compliant? Especially, obviously, if you want to bid on government contracts, uh, but compliance is coming full circle in, in, in every industry, whether it's, mil whether it's a military vertical or it's a commercial ver vertical, 
and that's very taxing on on companies. So um, getting some clarity, I think, on what their responsibility is to not only um, their customers uh, or to the contract officer, or if you're bidding on military or, or government contracts, but also downstream to their suppliers and their supply chain. Right? People are trying to make sense out of that. Um, how do I ensure that if I'm going to do this, that my downstream supply chain and my contractors are also compliant? So I think compliancy in, in cyber is a big issue and it's gonna continue for uh, years to come. And we need to help companies solve that problem and I know most of us on this panel are engaged in that in that regard, but it is something that uh, you know companies have on their mind, and, and it's 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 taxing them. All right, Alfred, twenty twenty. Yeah. So I wish I had a crystal ball, but I mean, at least from what I can see, as I, as I'm a hundred percent that you know it comes down to the people right and whether we set up the frameworks to be able to do that i think there's a couple ways to look at it something that i've seen at least in the past year or so is it's a little bit of a shift i don't want to say it's any kind of tipping point but we have to start designating our technical people if you will from an it mindset to a cyber mindset because they're not the same right when we look at somebody that's in it it's like hey i got to take care of my computers I got to make sure that software's on there. But are we really looking at that from a cyber perspective, just like uh, Dr. Sean was saying with respect to, yeah, cyber or software isn't necessarily built with that security in mind. So I think there's a little bit of a shift with the staff from an IT to a cyber perspective. The other thing I agree with is that, yeah, the people that work in these organizations, and I look at it from an organizational piece, is that they do need more training. But I think there's some ways because everybody's jumping from job to job every two or three years, right? So when we do invest in them, is that investment gonna go away? And so I think what we can do is start automating that piece of what they can or can't do with respect to their jobs. So, you know, can we do security education so that you're not plugging in a USB where you're not supposed to, right? or bringing your own devices into environments. But at the same time, we limit that and we educate them, but you also have to give people the flexibility enough to be creative, to do their job and to go to the next level. Otherwise you start losing a, a piece of competitiveness. So I think there's two people, there's two sets of people we gotta worry about in 2022. The IT to cyber shift with that piece of the team and then your folks that are working in the organization to allow them to do their jobs in a flexible manner, but give them the space that they need to with regard to the cyber. So those are, those are my two thoughts. All right. So kind of we're running out of about five minutes left. Tim, I haven't heard from you. I want to give you the first opportunity to ask some questions here of our guests today. Sure. Um, I know everyone's speaking of the human part of this. Um, I wanted to bring up the, um, the effects of AI, or, uh, AI artificial intelligence, um, and that the, um, <clears throat> I was just recently reviewing procurement for a piece of software called uh, Threat Modeler, or what was it called? Threat Modeler, uh, where they're introducing this concept of being able to automate as much as possible, uh, being able to, instead of uh, 
I guess they got it down from 60 hours down to about 40 minutes being able to analyze and give you some kind of uh, map, roadmap for uh, risk mount, uh, management, things of that nature, especially with the uh, driven part of uh, software and the way it's being developed today. Uh, so I guess I'm, my curiosity is there, is there a place for, uh, for IA or AI, I guess AI, artificial intelligence, and then what, what are some of the disadvantages and advantages of uh, using such a uh, type of uh, tool? So Alex, we can start with you. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, it's wrongly seen as a replacement tool, whereas it's an augmentation tool. Thing yeah. is that, you know, for the lack of resource, we can automate. But the thing is that AI stuff is only as good as the data we fit in and the environment we lay in and the contextualization of each organization is not something that AI can really get. And I've been through that, doing some assessment with automatic questionnaire. And if you see the way people answer and feed the machine, it's always a big bias. So um, we use these tools, but we use them with assistance, with human expertise on top of it. So we can speed up the process. We can be more efficient in a delivery, but we cannot replace us uh, or uh, replace the expertise and the proper decision making. And also it's falling back to what we were speaking before responsibility and accountability. We, have, we need responsibility contractually and we cannot have responsibility towards AI. So, and, and that's a big issue. It's not only cyber. I mean, this is the old thing like uh, automate, yeah. autonomous cars and stuff. That's the big question. Who is responsible? Who is accountable? So yes, augmented, more performance, but replacing, I don't see it. Otherwise it will lead to major issue like <laughs> the uh, hyperbolic, cognitive bias that AI and machine learning generate, we will get the same exponential failure if we only rely on it without control. So that would be my take. So, yeah. so All right, so I, I totally agree with Alex here. I mean, uh, uh, more importantly, I mean, AI, it's, it's all data-driven, so it's like data fed by human beings. You know, I like AI when it is a matter of scalability. You know, and and it's I call that as donut making also, where uh, if you have a, a process that needs to be done again and again and again fast enough, then then AIs are uh, amazingly good to do that. You know, uh, but at the end of the day, responsibility is really important. I agree totally with Alex. I mean, that's where human intervention at the beginning and at the end is very very important. You know, uh, uh, it, I've seen AIs. You know, I, I'm in. Uh, manufacturing side in the auto industry and all that, you know, uh, EVs and everything, and, and aviation, the unmanned aerial vehicles and all that. I can tell you AI is as good as uh, the pilots in, in, the, in the manned uh, aerial vehicle, in the person aerial vehicle. So, so you, you have to make sure the decision making is left to the human being. You know, the AI can control uh, where the humans can't control uh, that fast, but uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we have to have that human intervention. So I agree. Yeah, it sounds like consensus there. <laughs> Daniel, what's your take on that one, sir? Well, I tell you, a, people are excited about IoT, about AI, yeah. but I want to say something very carefully. According to publications, 80% of AI projects are not delivering the expected benefits. 
Yeah. However, 100% 100% of IoT projects, the AI is increasing the cyber attack surface. So if I want to see how we are going to perform better, I said, let's look carefully when we are upgrading to industry four, when we are going to AI, when we are going to machine learning, let's see how we assure that the benefits will be delivered and what kind of complementing and compensating security measures we must deploy in order to keep the attack surface not increased. This is very important in my eyes. Yeah, certainly. I think that's concurrence across the board. Definitely. Jim, uh, you got any take on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's being touted as a bit of a panacea, and that's always dangerous. I mean, what you're what you're really trying to do with with AI is is as other guests have said, you're trying to identify different patterns of behavior, and you're trying to automate things that will perhaps protect you. However, let's not forget the cyber criminals also know AI very well. And they deploy those uh, techniques and those tools against you know, any defenses that we set up. So I'll just echo what everybody else said. I mean, it really is a human issue. And uh, I just don't think companies ought to look at tools as the way to completely protect themselves, right? Many people will say, it's not about a checklist, it's about holistic security. And right. I think companies need to start thinking that way. If they're not already, many are. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Alfred, sir. Hey, Timothy. Um, so uh, I don't think there's true AI yet. You know, I always refer back to Sonny the robot on iRobot. I think that's true AI. I think we're still at the machine learning stage. You know, and some some factors to consider. Let, let's say this, right? I think the last time I saw, only 17% of people would get on an airplane that was a fully automated flight with no pilot. Yeah. So so you know, I would I would rhetorically ask everybody, would you get on that airplane? Right. right. So so let's let's ask those kinds of things. The other thing I think is there there's a difference between what we see maybe with big data versus fat data in terms of. How do we know, how does somebody, there has to be a man or a woman in the loop that says, hey, you know what? I'm seeing that the trend's going to be that people want that product in green and red and purple. Well, how do we know that, right? How do we know what that next one's gonna be? And, and a last point that I'll mention with respect to that is, would you truly want a weapon system that is fully AI automated? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. The, the, the idea of artificial intelligence and the only way to truly, when you introduce this idea and this concept to, into IT or in cybersecurity is now is, is uh, we're gonna get into the battle of the AI, if you will. And, and then we get into the concepts. I think we're all, have been hinting at and it's, you know, Skynet, right? It goes yeah. right back to that, that whole scenario. We get into the pitching of it, so. Yeah. Uh, the other hosts. Stay um, away from Skynet. So uh, what do you think is uh, in store for 2022? What are we what are we looking at for next year? Well, I'm going to say the uncertainty is going to be with us, but I think if you're aware of the problem, then I think that you know smart people are going to just be aware that this this is right the environment we're in 
And at least for me and my organization, the companies I work with, it comes down to really rethinking strategy and relationships. Um, that that is really the key. If you're going to be, you know, think about it as a military unit. Uncertainty, if you are in a wartime situation, abounds, right? It doesn't matter how good your situational awareness is. In some cases, you just cannot know what's going to happen. So what do you do to try and give your, your, your unit the best chance of mission success, right? You, you plan, uh, right? You plan for not just a plan B, but you got a plan C, a plan D, and a plan E. Um, you have relationships. I was talking with a friend of mine, Chris, last week, who works for a big, big, big metal distributor doing primarily nickels and titaniums for specialty industries. And he told me, he's like, you know, with the uncertainty, right, there's that word again. He's like, in our markets, he's like, uh, the relationships matter. He's like, do you think if I have a limited supply of, you know, we were talking about K500 nickel, He's like, I'm going to be sure that my best customers get that. He's like, not the new guy calling me. And I, it just started me thinking about the value of those relationships. I mean, look at those thousands of F-250s and 350s sitting around because they don't have chips, right? Had those people been, I mean, what are the different things that could impact our supply chain? What are our backup plans? I think if people really started thinking about that, and this is especially important for the small business community, right? You know, what are you going to do if that supplier can't follow through, right? Are you going to have a backup plan? How are you going to be flexible with your staff and relationships to be sure that when, right, the kids are at home or this happens, how can you still remain effective as an organization? So I think you can kind of take the reality of the uncertainty and then plan around it be like, as an organization, we, you know, Chris, I have seen this for 30 years, strategic planning, we're going to do that the last week in December, it ends up being right a free for all for a couple hours, you didn't get anything done, you're like, well, let's revisit this in January. And then before you know it, right, it's December again, and you have all these unfinished things that you never really planned well. So I think regardless of the size of your organization, even at home, right? And personal lives. If people actually thought about this a little bit, like, what are we going to do for 2022? Like, what are some of the things that could really bite us? And how are we going to, how are we going to strategize around that? And how are we going to make this actually part of our culture and lifestyle, whether that's right at the Murray house or at, at Sean's business? You know, what are we going to do to be sure that we're still here a year from now and we're thriving? And I think situations like this force people into that position and they're in the people that recognize that and actually adapt. I think those are the ones that are going to be successful in 2022. Um, complaining and hoping it's going to go away or yelling at the politicians or none of that's going to help. This is, we have to live in the reality we've been given just like that military unit needs to have mission success when they're inserted into a, you know, foreign theater when they don't know 100% of everything that's going on, right? People are still counting on them to accomplish the mission. And I think if we had kind of that mission focus that what are we gonna do to be sure my small business is in business at the end of the year, my people are employed and they're happy. 
right? What are we gonna do to be sure that we can come up, cover the eventualities to get the outcome we want and, and, and live it, not just talk about it, live it. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think um, I, I'll just stop right there. I think we're gonna use that to close our 2022 panel. Thanks for uh, sharing all your thoughts with us, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it wasn't too scattered or it was useful, but that's, I, I believe this stuff and, and I believe it'll make a difference in people's success or failure. And I think times of uncertainty, people think that their decision-making capability, sometimes it lies with other people, right? It's out of my control. I can't take, I can't do it. And, and I think that's, that's flawed thinking. Um, I think it's easy to fall into that trap that these things are out of our control. When in fact, there's a lot of things that are in our control if we want to take action on them. All right. Thank well, you. thanks for everybody that, that joined on today. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, this uh, special year in review for 2021 and what to look forward to, to 2022. Thanks everybody for joining. Thank you. Hey, perfect. All All right. Bye. We heard it today on New Cyber Frontier. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> Can you edit that out?